This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Um, we're continuing our CEO series. Yep. Uh, we're speaking to some of the, uh, the best CEOs in Australia and around the world. And this one I'm particularly excited for because I've been a shareholder for a while. You have been. I remember chatting about this company back when we were at university on the balcony and uh, looking forward to packing, unpacking this one. <laughs> uh, we're joined in the studio by Phil McKenzie. Phil, welcome. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks very much. So Phil is the CEO and Managing Director of Pacific Smiles Group. The ASX ticker is PSQ. They are an Australian dental group operating over 100 dental centres under the Pacific Smile Dental Care and the NIB Dental Care brands, located throughout New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the ACT. Prior to joining Pacific Smiles in 2018, Phil was the driver of Apple's retail entry into Australia as Apple's Australian market director. And uh, we just found out offline that you were the first retail employee for Apple here in Australia. So I did pretty well in that job interview, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And after that, you were the CEO of uh, Widex and Audiology Management Group. So pretty extensive resume, a lot of experience. And we're going to unpack your journey as CEO at Pacific Smiles. Excellent. Look forward to it. I'm glad uh, Bryce got Pacific Smiles out. It sounded like a bit of a tongue twister there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) So, Phil, we uh, we always like to start these CEO uh, interviews by hearing the company leader describe their company in their own words. So, to kick us off today, um, can you tell us uh, how you see Pacific Smiles? Yeah, absolutely. Pacific Smiles Group is a dentist service organisation. Distinctly different from being a dental service organisation, we've set about identifying that the dentist is our primary customer, uh, the person that we're seeking to service, the professional that we're seeking to enable. And so essentially we've established over 108 dental centres on the eastern seaboard and a few under managed service uh, relationship with HBF in the west. And um, we exist to provide uh, services and facilities to the dentists uh, that choose to put their practice with us. Mm. 
I frequent the NIB dental care here in Sydney twice Excellent. a year. Thank you to NIB. <laughs> uh, zero cost with the uh, health fund. But um, PSQ was founded in 2002, going public in 2014. Um, for those that haven't heard of the company before, are you able to tell us a little bit about the journey to date? Yeah, absolutely. So the founding story was essentially uh, a collection of dentists who thought there has to be a better way to take care of the administration and so-called ancillary components outside of their professional practice. So they clubbed together and um, over the fullness of time created the Pacific Smiles Group. Um, quite a journey to get there, but essentially um, it could be best described as a, um, a dentist could turn up on their motorcycle uh, outside of Pacific Smiles and a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. We will provide them with scrubs, gloves, a mask, a patient, a dental surgery, a dental assistant, consumables, a billing system, a patient management system, and essentially they take care of everything inside the mouth uh, and we take care of the rest. <laughs> oh, interesting. As he says with a big bright smile. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have good teeth as a CEO of Pacific Smiles. You do. <laughs> so it's an interesting model and um, is it a model that many other people are doing or is this something that's quite unique for Pacific Smiles? Well, I think there's a, a number of uh, very well-placed um, DSOs or, or dental service organisations that we can look to in the US and there's certainly a couple here in Australia. Um, our unique aspect for Pacific Smiles is that we do it um, predominantly greenfield rollout. So we've rolled out um, the centres versus acquiring them. Uh, we have a differentiator in terms of we're the largest um, commonly branded, so Pacific Smiles Dental branded uh, group. And we typically go inside shopping centres. So we're not on the strip location next to the tax agent behind you know, the laundromat next to the Chinese takeaway. We're inside a shopping centre with proximity to Coles and Woolies. Uh, and, and that's what we see as a real differentiator for us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was working at, for Coles in Melbourne, the flagship store next to the head office, a Pacific Smiles opened up there. And I was like, that's great. I'm a shareholder there. I'm a shareholder of the Coles. I'm yep. slowly taking over this shopping center. <laughs> <laughs> so you took over as CEO in 2018. The business had been public for four years, running for 16 years. What what was sort of the business you inherited and what were some of the key focuses for you as you, you know as you took on the CEO role yeah it's a really pr a real privilege to hold the, the role of chief executive for Pacific smiles and um, the base of the business was was absolutely superb so my criteria for joining was something that I absolutely believed in so healthcare and doing something that makes a difference absolutely and then the potential of the business so I had the opportunity to come across um, from the US where I was living at the time and uh, assess the business travel the dental centers and look at the baseline of a, a rollout model uh, and fell in love. Uh, absolutely believed in it. So the team, you know, that was assembled had done an excellent job to grow up from a, a founder-led business um, through into a listed entity. And and my job was essentially to to come in and dare I say it, maybe Colin Chapman said it best, but to simplify and add lightness. So whatever we could do to make sure that we were very clear about our value propositions to customers, being the dentist, mm. um, staff, being the team members of Pacific Smiles, and and the and the patients, those consumers that choose to to put their care with us and so that's what we've said about doing yeah mm. nice well if you look at bryce's teeth you're obviously doing it well <laughs> no, i'm not sure about that <laughs> so for the audience of retail investors that we yeah. have who might not know much about the dental industry how should we i guess conceptualize the industry who are the main players here in australia um you know if you're wanting to you think there's a good macro trend here of people wanting more dental services? How should we think about that landscape? 
Yeah. Well, for every potential patient that do and don't have teeth, would you believe, um, they're a potential patient for Pacific Smiles. In Australia, there's about 17,500 practicing dentist professionals, and so we're seeking to service as many of those as we can. Today, Pacific Smiles probably has 2 2.5% market share of a $10 billion industry, um, so the scope, the trajectory, the ramp is tremendous. So we set about um, putting centres in the locations where dentists want to be and patients are. Uh, ultimately, the corporatized side, if you want to use that as the vernacular for um, you know, the aggregated um, practices, uh, probably wouldn't add up to more than 10% of the market. So it's still very cottage, mom and pop style. Uh, the professional graduates, maybe he and a partner, he and his wife, she and her partner, she and her husband, uh, get in and, um, and actually establish their own practice. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. So it is very much a, like a local dentist um, industry. Yeah, I think like many, uh, you know, allied health and ancillary healthcare elements, it is um, from graduation to own business and, and on a trajectory. And then if you're lucky, um, you're required by some type of um, aggregating roll-up entity. Um, we've gone about it a bit differently. We believe that putting the, um, the footprint on the ground and then inviting the dentist to practice from a standardized professional facility is the right way to go. And then how does the relationship work between the dentist and you guys? Like they've obviously, if they're doing it all themselves, they retain all earnings and uh, can do what they want with it. But you guys come in and say, we'll do everything. You just need to look after the mouth. How does that relationship work? Yeah, great question. The, uh, the dentist contracts our services, would you believe? So they come to us. Often we'll source um, and advise them of who we are, but they come to us and say, listen, I'd like to practice from one of your rooms, um, service the patients that you generate. Uh, and for that privilege, um, we do, in, in gross terms, a 60-40 split. So they pay us 60% of what they generate. They keep 40 net of lab fees. So in, in essential terms, um, while they may make perhaps 10% more uh, if they were to set themselves up, um, they probably get 100% more headache uh, yeah. <laughs> because of the complexity of running it. So we take that hassle away. Yeah. And then I assume you guys, well, obviously the Pacific Smiles brand is well known. NIB obviously are pushing customers, but then you are also trying to get patients in the door as well. Absolutely. So we've got both a sophisticated set of digital marketing tools that we use that are probably common across many businesses that you all see in terms of emails and text messages and social media. But would you believe that the analog effort of being inside a shopping center, mm. having a pop-up booth with a tooth fairy or um, a giant toothbrush, <laughs> giving away toothbrushes and inviting people to come in and have um, a clean and check is, is actually one of the most effective ways of building a patient base. Yeah. So the industry, uh, you know, some corporate, a dentist, a lot of uh, mum and pop operations, um, obviously everyone needs dental care. Um, there are probably two big other players in the industry. One is the government. Um, you know, there's a lot of money being pushed into that. I think Victoria now has like a dentist bus where everyone, they drive around and give um, all public school students dental care. But then the other big one is the health insurers. And you know, we've mentioned NIB, where you operate the clinics for HBF over in WA, you've got a relationship with. For people who are new to the industry, can you tell us the role health insurers play and sort of how you think about it as the leader of Pacific Smiles? Yeah, for sure. I think the relationship with the dentist is, is fundamental as a service provider, um, but the quality relationship with the primary payer in the marketplace, which is the health fund, is is fundamental. So we obviously in the early days set about a great relationship with NIB, and we now operate 11 NIB branded dental centres. We purchased three AHM 
dental centres of Medibank, uh, and we operate those with a degree of exclusivity to um, their membership base and services provided therein. And then we um, were invited by HBF to um, to get involved to open HBF dental branded centres. I see it as absolutely fundamental that the primary payer needs to be considered as um, uh, as vital in the relationship. So we facilitate a relationship as Pacific Smiles with the dentist and the health fund for preferred provider agreements. Uh, and ultimately, I would suggest that most health funds have made the decision that they're better insurers than they are service providers. And so looking to so-called professional service providers like us is, is a natural extension. Mm. It's a it's a funny uh, balance that you're striking because on one hand you're right you know they're they're the primary payers and the health insurers want to push people to their branded clinics you know mm-hmm. they want Bryce to know that NIB cares about his teeth and yes. they're pushing him to his clinic their clinic sorry but at the same time you're trying to build the Pacific Smiles brand you want dentists and customers to know about Pacific Smiles how do you balance that I guess the own branded clinics and then the white labeled clinics for want of a better word. If you go all the way back to our true purpose, which is to improve the oral health of all Australians to world's best, essentially I need our centres and our partner centres to be where the patients are. Uh, so the the idea of a branded centre or a Pacific Smiles branded centre, um, we're relatively agnostic on it. We think that the Pacific Smiles brand is, um, is healthy and has a lot to, to go, but still taking in ex- ancillary um, healthcare is, is more of a convenience exercise. So the patient will go to a shopping centre, uh, not necessarily with Pacific Smiles top of mind, um, but then with our presence and our relevance on location, um, become a natural choice. So rather than investing a lot in building a brand, um, we're building an identity and a proximity and a consistency. And so if that's for a health fund or for Pacific Smiles, we're super relaxed about that. Mm. I mean, I didn't know that the NIB that I was going to was run by you guys, but yeah. good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel you've been going from building a network of consumer electronic stores, being yeah. Apple, <laughs> to now building out a network of dental clinics. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn from your time at Apple and from that, you know, being the inaugural employee um, that applies to rolling out all these dental clinics across Australia? Uh, I think the very first thing that you learn is that um, it, it takes more than just one. Uh, and although I might have had the privilege of being the leader in some environments, uh, it is invariably the people that surround you um, that make the difference. So the, the biggest learning was that, um, you know, it's, it's often said, but culture strategy for breakfast and fundamentally if you can galvanize the human beings that operate with you or visit you or choose to put their services with you towards a common purpose then you've got a good start and so my underlying learning would be not so much that it's all about the people but if you can galvanize people um, and to understand what their contribution looks like uh, and to know when they've done a good job then there's almost nothing you can't achieve. We want to uh, we want to unpack the uh, people and culture aspect a little bit more, but um, before we before we get there, um, you know Pacific Smiles is in this growth phase, um, and your the numbers bear that out. You know the top line revenue has almost doubled uh, in the past five years, um, and you're reinvesting a lot of that money into growth, so it's not trickling, uh, it's not coming down to the bottom line. How do you think about that trade off between? Um, you know, growing the profit number and then, you know, reinvesting to really grow the business. Pacific Smiles trajectory is uh, significant. 
So a 2.5% market share in a $10 billion industry, working with 650 service and facilities agreement dentists today in a 17,500 dentist base, uh, says that the, the only way is up. So we've taken the opportunity uh, really since listing to uh, sensibly drive the growth of the business, now very clear on our shopping centre strategy. And so while we could stop the rollout and expand margins uh, and flow through to the bottom line, we believe that this is a, um, a long tail and a great story. So we do provide good returns. We do have um, sensible and healthy EBITDA flowing through. Um, but right now in a very fragmented market, we feel that putting new centres on the ground it's the right thing to do. When you think of growth companies these days, you think of tech. You, you mm. wouldn't think of dentists. Is it hard to convince you know the market and retail investors like us that you should think about a dentist clinic as a growth story? I think it's the numbers uh, that that add up when you hear things like ten billion and seventeen and a half thousand and six hundred and fifty and only having one hundred and ten centres, and then you take into account the nature of the relationships and perhaps some broader understanding where health. Um, services will go in Australia and with the health funds, it becomes somewhat of a compelling story. Uh, and we're very clear that we have to keep it simple. The moment we try and be excessively entrepreneurial or cleverer than we really should be, um, we make mistakes. Mm. So being very clear is vital. So as an investor, it sounds 2.5% market share and then the rest is just healy peely mums and dads. <laughs> <laughs> They're your and, words, and, not yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of other health centres. Um, so really it just feels like for you guys, it's just a sales game and a conversion game of going to dentists and convincing them that your offer is the one to go for. Um, as an investor, I'd like to know how quickly you think you can achieve that and what are what are you doing to actually convince dentists to come on board and where does that 2.5% two, two turn to 5, turn to 10? Sure. Um, there are some other sophisticated players out there no, and some no, of no. the private <laughs> practices are, are exceptional. Um, you know, a number of colleagues in the industry are, um, you know, they're really working hard to make this, this happen. Um, so for us... The simple examples, we have um, had a, a great couple of years with rolling centres out successfully, moving to profitability in a, in a good timeline, so inside of 12 months, um, which has given us support from the market and from the board to accelerate that rollout of new centres to somewhere between 20 to 25 So per annum. So that's at the average cost of a new dental centre being around about $850,000. That's considerable support to, to roll out demonstrably um, in the market. We've got great relationships with landlords. Um, we take a lease typically over 10 years. We depreciate over seven and we get a cost of capital payback in five. So we're looking at this as, um, as part of our longer term play to, um, to really take an opportunity right now. Uh, when does um, when does two and a half percent become five in terms of market share? Look, I'd like to suggest within the next five years, you know, we put 25 centers on the ground this coming year ahead, FY22. Um, maybe we get uh, it all right and then we get the opportunity to do it again and then we're at 150 dental centres um, to, to, to say a number. Um, that is steps in the very much the right direction to, to meet our growth ambitions. So yeah, nice. it's exciting. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, it is, it is exciting. Um, Phil, we want to turn to people and culture, but before we do, uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. How does appreciation feel to you? A rising rush of warmth? A building wave of confidence? 
At Reward Gateway Eden Red, we know appreciation appreciates in value. Starting with people, radiating through companies to transform their performance and productivity. Capture the power of appreciation with our total employee experience platform. So, Phil, you mentioned before about the importance of the team and you said... um culture eat strategy all the time which is a saying that I like I um, might steal that from you uh, <laughs> oh, culture, culture eat strategy for breakfast <laughs> is that what you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe Peter Drucker did that I'm not 100% uh, sure no 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 yeah. you said it <laughs> <laughs> um, and let's start at the top with, with you um, do you have a leadership philosophy as CEO yeah, I, and it, it's learned, right? I don't think anything comes always from within. I think invariably it's learned or experienced. So I would say that the role of the leader is to um, uh, to, to lead, develop, inspire, and enable. Um, those those four fundamental pieces are important. Within Pacific Smiles, we actually um, uh, used, a, used a book called Legacy, um, which was written by, I think, a guy called James Kerr about being embedded with the All Blacks. Uh, and some of the fundamental learnings, and he's got five principles, which you know uh, you can have a look for yourselves. But it, essentially, some of those fundamentals around how we operate um, as leaders and people within the business um, became a real um, methodology for me from the beginning. Then over time, the team actually developed their own identity. So uh, we have three key cornerstones. So it's um, we must play to win. Um, and that starts because we're unified and we're adapting to whatever the circumstances. And so we minted, um, would you believe, a series of medals uh, around those three, play to win, unify and adapt. Uh, and various people pass them out in the business when they catch someone doing something right, oh, yeah. something amazing. So they become a transferable token, if you will, um, that are just highlighted on catching people doing the right thing. Um, we've added to that. Uh, so leaders have added to it with a, a, another little token. And this is all around execution because in order for us to grow at the rate that we want to and the way that we want to, we have to execute with excellence. So there's just that subtlety of how we behave and then how we do what we said we'd do that, that's fundamental to, to our success. You can't say transferable token on a podcast without me thinking NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should uh, put them on the blockchain and then you can pass them between yeah, the out, <laughs> out of my depth is... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, outside of the those medals, how do you think about actually building like a high-performing team or company culture? Um, you know, I, I guess back at your time at Apple, mm. you would have had to have built a team up. Yeah. Um, how did you go through that process? It, it's visible leadership. So it's being present. I spend a hell of a lot of time on the road. So during the middle of COVID last year, uh, me and a number of executives, um, we hit the road. We couldn't fly anywhere. Uh, so we jumped in cars and um, I know at one stage I did four and a half, five thousand Ks driving from Newcastle to Victoria and around all the centres just wow. to say hello. So I, I couldn't spend a lot of time in there. You go in and you'd wave and you'd say thank you for all that you're doing because they hadn't seen people for weeks. Mm. Um, and so various executives, we all did the same thing. You know, we travelled to Queensland, we travelled to the ACT um, just to be visible leaders. And I think whether it's through a, a, a difficult period like COVID or whether through it's through growth, um, leading from the floor uh, is better than leading from behind a desk. Mm. So that's, uh, I, I think, just a really simple aspect of how we're trying to do it effectively. Mm. Mm. You mentioned COVID there. Mm. Um, managing a team through COVID would have been one, probably one of the biggest challenges of your career. Mm. I'm going to hazard mm. a guess. Um, what, what was like, what was COVID like um, 
both for Pacific Smiles, but then also for, you know, for the, I guess, the culture of your business and like, how did you manage the people through that time? What did what what Muhammad Ali or someone say? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> Man, uh, at one point there, we stood down 1,200 staff over Zoom. Wow. Uh, with Group call? Yeah. With, wow. uh, Tough to do individual calls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I tell you, the support people and my HR team behind the scenes that rallied to, to, to make that something that was even possible uh, before we knew about JobKeeper and then the sheer administration of human emotion, human needs uh, and, and flow on impact to the dentist, to the staff and to the patients is something I've never seen before. So I would suggest that uh, everybody put their heart and soul into looking after people and then you know quite delightfully if, if it's even something to um, to call delightful we came out of the lockdown period and the business rose so patients returned dentists returned staff returned and for the last 12 months um, we've we've had a a very positive period of, of attendance of, of, of patients um, the business has grown demonstrably and um, and the capability is extended because people have been through the very worst of times. Mm. Um, so they're now set to do some of their best work as we grow the business. Mm. So it's quite special. I'm always interested to you know hear uh, from leaders about how they think about what happened with the pandemic and how they have perhaps changed business strategy going forward. Like, yes, of course, it was a, a shock that mm. only comes once every blue moon. Mm. But have you actually made any changes within the business to prevent what you know the shock that happened to the business um what have been some of the major takeaways from that that yeah you've made? we um we, le- we learned a lot in the early stages um we were trying to control things um we couldn't we couldn't control anything other than our response as a business the first thing we learned very quickly that we had to do was upweight our communication to dentists patients and staff um, because we thought that just saying something meant that everybody knew. Mm. Um, but it took 25 times of repetition, repetition, and everybody saying the same thing um, before it started to, to, to get in. And so that communication, decentralizing decision-making, so that people were empowered in you know, remote locations, not remote, but spread out across the eastern seaboard, weren't waiting to be told. Mm. Uh, we gave them a framework for decision-making. We gave them parameters to make mistakes. Uh, and then we were um, listening very hard and using all the technology that we could muster, you know, daily Zoom calls, um, multiple daily leadership calls. So simplifying, increasing communication, decentralizing control and extending trust. And we made some mistakes, uh, but everybody grew. And I would suggest that's something we're carrying going forward. Listening to you talk and you know, the question about business strategy, it comes back to people. It's no surprise that TDM, who are known <laughs> for loving, you know, people and culture and really focusing on that, uh, are big fans of, of you. It's um, it, it's pretty great to hear how people-focused you are. Mm. When you think about, you know, you were in the States, um, mm-hmm. maybe has a reputation for not being as people-focused a country yeah. as, you know, um, some of the European and Australian uh, companies. Um what do you think they get wrong or what what would you say to some of your other business leaders out there? Like what, what do you think they should do better? It's not a competition. If, if you can engender the confidence in the people that you're working with um, that they can be better, uh, all shall rise. 
if you take accountability for trying to make someone better or drive the the business or drive the behaviors um, it only has the lifespan of what you can produce but if you can encourage someone that their potential is up to them and then facilitate that being improved um, then the potential is unlimited because what what happens is it ceases to be a competition it seeks ceases to be um, one-upmanship and and actually becomes a thing of pride and that's really the number one thing that flows through our centers in Pacific Smiles is a sense of pride um, for these many, many people that are working with us about the center, about the business, about the work we do. And so I would say uh, enable people's potential and um, you're off to a good start. Very hard thing to do, I think, mm-hmm. um, is, to, is to actually – it's easy to say, but then I think it just takes years of experience to know because everyone's different, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. knowing how you can – uh, extract the best out of everyone, uh, despite everyone being completely different. Very difficult. Yeah. I'm trying to get the best out of Ren. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lot more of a driver, though. <laughs> so, Phil, um, we could talk people and culture all day, but would love to hear about um, how you think about Pacific Smiles' future. Um, so, we'll start short term, and then we'll we'll start thinking more long term. So, if you think about the next twelve months for your business. Um, what is, what does the next year hold for Pacific Smiles? We've got a board endorsed, very clear, laid out plan to put twenty to twenty five brand new dental centres on the ground for Pacific Smiles. Um, we'll do a number of new centres for HBF Dental, uh, and we'll continue to build the relationships with the health funds. So everybody is clear on that. Everybody understands what their role is, and we'll continue to um, engage with everybody in terms of what they need to to execute with excellence. Uh, and it will be that simple. We're not going to try and do anything super clever. Um, we're just going to be really clever about executing on our plan. Mm. Uh, we always need to know, though, what is the, as an investor, the biggest risk that you see for your business right now? Uh, t- twofold. Um, one would be the complacency or the comfort that comes with a mild success. So we've been mildly successful over the 12 months, if I'm um, trying to be polite. Uh, <laughs> share, uh, share price is what, almost doubled? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, Good but, to know that that's mild success. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what happens is you start to, to overbelieve. Um, and I think you've always got to be consciously uncomfortable uh, and, and pushing each other for is this really as good as we could have done it? So the, 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 the complacency is something that keeps um, me current on, on what's going on. And then making sure that we build a natural break point. So I say 20 to 25 centers, but if we're not delivering what we should at 10, then we'll slow down. Um, so not backing yourself um, to deliver or bust. Um, there's got to be a sensible cadence and a logical set of reflective points. So you can say, do you know what? We're not where we said we'd be, but we're in control therefore will adjust. And that ability to course correct brings confidence in the market, bring confidence in the team, and ultimately sets us up for longevity, I think. Can it go the other way, though? You hit 25 in half the time and you're like, let's double, let's double down? Well, listen, I know a number of um, of our shareholders are absolutely of the belief that we should batten down the hatches and go for it. Um, <laughs> I think it comes down to being really measured and sensible because we are a healthcare um, service provider. So yeah. yes, it could, but more moreover, I would probably keep my powder dry to continue doing a jolly good job. Yeah, uh, the right cadence. Mm. Yeah. Long term, love yeah. that. Under promise, over deliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of long term, if you think about Pacific Smiles in 10, 15 years from now, uh, what does success look like? 
uh, success looks like a great reputation for having exceptional service and facilities um, for maybe more than just dental professionals. Um, at the end of the day, we operate over 100 dental centres today, but are essentially a service and facility provider uh, inside shopping centres. So being able to have great relationships with uh, health funds, being trusted by the public, and fundamentally having the respect of the dentists and respect for dentists um, should see us on a very bright future and hopefully separate us from everyone else. Inside scoop. Yeah, I mean, I got to follow up on that. The whole beyond dentistry, are you going to- Bakeries. Adjacent, <laughs> move, move to GPs? Is that in the product pipeline? No, I think um, we, we want to stay in the lane that we're in. But if you think about a, a, a surgery today that has a chair in it, we have a high degree of infection control. We're a very sanitized and, um, and clean facility. We could be offering vaccinations, inoculations. And if you think about health funds desire to drive in the wellness space, um, there's very much an opportunity to do um, nutrition, consulting, um, other professionals, not us. Uh, we could do blood works, pathology. There's all sorts of things that are um, service orientated for professionals that they need rooms and, and an opportunity to practice from. Mm, so great. there's a long runway here. Yeah, now now no, you watch this rent's gonna finish and be like, oh, I'm gonna go and invest my <laughs> hey, money. But to be super clear, um, dental's the primary focus. Um, but it's delightful to know that we could, should we choose, to have other strings to our bow. Yeah. Is there any other major competitors following the shopping center strategy? There are a couple of others that are inside, usually smaller and not with as many as us. Um, it, it's not something that we've got a caveat on, um, but we're very clear about how we do it and when we do it and where we do it. And, uh, and the relationship with the landlords and the trust that we've built with the dentist is the cornerstone of that. So the barrier to entry is certainly cost and the complexity. Um, but I'm sure that some people will consider following us in at some point. Yeah, well, now that people are listening to this episode, you, you better accelerate the rollout plan. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Phil, it's uh, always a pleasure chatting to CEOs and executives to understand the journey and how they think about their business. One of the biggest challenges for retail investors is actually getting insight into how management think about the businesses that they're running. So, um, having you on the show has been a great pleasure and I'm sure uh, many people in our audience have taken a lot of value from it. So thank you very much uh, for your time. For those uh, listening along at home, uh, a reminder that it's Pacific Smiles Group, ASX ticker PSQ. Full disclosure, Ren is a shareholder and we'll leave it there. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Phil. All the best. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.